welcome to Real Film Review. Today's podcast I will give a non-plot spoiler review of three of my films, but I'm about to re-record my introduction because I realised for Magic Mike's Last Dance, if you don't want to know some of the plot detail, I would suggest when you get to it, at around 18, 19 minutes, I think it is, fast forward to about the 28th minute. Um, I usually give non-plot spoiler reviews and then a little bit of a discussion about the plot or the storyline, the characters, my pithy summary and then a review rating. So let me know what you think via Twitter, real R-E-E film at realfilmaco or Instagram um, or Facebook uh, where I have a Facebook group page, Real Film Review with a little plus at the end. Um, and you'll find all the links to my rating scale and to trailers and various bits and bobs. And many thanks to Ed on Twitter for replying about all the beauty and the bloodshed with the hashtag SacklerPain. I didn't say much about that in the movie review. Um, it's very worthwhile having a look at this film and seeing what you think. The four films to be reviewed today are... Decision to Leave, a Korean drama, The Titanic 3D, Magic Mike's Last Dance, and The Sun. Now, The Decision to Leave is a Korean film about a seasoned detective who investigates the suspicious death of a man on a mountaintop. Soon he begins to suspect the deceased's wife while being unsettled by his attraction to her. And that's a pretty decent summary. Not my own, I just got from IMDb. Now, here's the story. Detective Yang Hyung works in the city, away from his wife. Uh, they get together at weekends. She works at the nuclear plant in a place up the road called Ipo. And so the background is set. He's an insomniac. He likes doing the nighttime work and observations. And I have to be honest, although I really like this film, I got a little bit lost with the intricacies of the story at times. But these do unfold. And this is because... The plot and the characters are developed well. Um, he, uh, Hai Young, is a thorough cop. Um, he's non-violent in comparison to his police partner. There's a nice little interplay between the two of them there. The partner doesn't play much part in the uh, central theme of the film. There's a nice contrast with his wife. She's methodical, a nuclear plant uh, operator. She's, uh, in her own words, the science geek. And then there's the wife of the deceased, who is called Su Rei, and has a Chinese background with a history in career as well. So there's a nice bit in this film where there's the weaving of uh, Hai Young, the detective, his daydreams into his work while he was observing the wife of the deceased. Because there seems to be nothing untoward at first with the death of a man who has fallen off the top of a mountain. Now, he's taken uh, a dangerous route up there. He, this is all charted on his social media. And um, I, I liked the nice working out of what happened during the death of the man, uh, both at the beginning and in the middle and towards the end of the film. Um, uh, I found that entertaining and interesting. And also... The, the way uh, the detective, Hai Young, is very, very thorough and he gets a, a line to go down the mountain and he goes back up um, to see for any clues. And it's quite funny. And um, and so you get the impression, quite rightly, that he's a thorough cop who likes to uh, turn over every stone. So the, the way that he gets played 
by Sue Ray, the wife of the deceased, is, is very clever and convincing. Um, we jump forward to an end part of the film when uh, Hai Young and his wife are living together now. So they, they've survived their marriage by living apart during the week, and I think it's 18 months later, and how his path crosses with Su Rei, um, how they cross again. So uh, it, it culminated in an ending where I thought, this is absolutely plausible uh, in a way that the characters are developed. Um, I was invested in the characters, um, the whole idea as well of uncovering a background and history of somebody uh, in their family and in their past, and whether this does, whether this has an involvement into the motives and actions of somebody in the present, I think that that was a nice little theme that it made me think about as well. Can you work out what somebody might do or not do because of where they have come from and what their history is? Um, in lots of senses of the word history here. Um, so I, I I enjoyed it. It, it kept me enthralled. Um, or I, enthralled might be too strong, but I I was definitely in the film. And so uh, my pithy summary would be: Cop falls for girl he shouldn't. Could she ever love him? And my review rating would be maybe no. To it's all right. There's nothing clunky. Everything stands up and works. All the intricacies of how things are done in a film to tell you about things works. Yes, there's a reason why I'm emphasising this, and I will be again in different ways. Um, I did feel for, and I, 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 and I was invested in the characters, and, and, and I really wanted things not to happen and to happen. Um, and, and especially, uh, I was invested in the plight of Su Rei, the, the, the ex-wife, whose Chinese background, and, and, and Hai Young, um, the detective. Uh, the, the film treats you as an intelligent person. Going on to Titanic in 3D, and I went to see it on Valentine's Day in real 4XD as well. And the theatre was full, so on a day like that, for a film like this, it's always going to be an appreciative audience. I have not been to a 4XD film before, and if I had to describe this, I would say it means it feels like someone is kicking the back of your chair like on a plane. Um, several times I had to turn around and think, oh, there's nobody there because there's loads of space between you and the person in front. So, you know, you're not being kicked. Um, I think the, the effects, they're pretty good. I wanted the smell thing to be a lot more, but it, it is limited. But I'm very smell sensitive. And, 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 liked, and liked when we went into the lounges of the Titanic, etc. That, that seemed to be a nice one. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go in full describing the plot. Does it work? I, it seems to be a lot of people's favourite films. I would say across workplaces, classrooms in the country, Titanic will be a lot of people's favourite films. And quite rightly so. It stands the test of time. Why? Well... It develops character and plot in a coherent and meaningful way. It uses all the device of this being a story about the Titanic. Most people on Earth will know about the story of the Titanic. But even if you never knew about the tragic story of the Titanic, the film, the plot and the love story still work. Now why? Well, all the characters are played with depth. How is this achieved? 
aspects of their personality come out in conversations, either by them or by others. For example, I'm just going to choose a couple of examples here of why a film sometimes works. And you may have, you may disagree with me here and say, these things are just things that happen, or they're clunky, or they're inserted, etc. But quite early on, we see Rose getting on board the Titanic with her husband. They're very wealthy, and so they have a whole uh, cargo of things to bring on board. Now, Rose buys art pieces. This shouldn't be surprising. She's extremely wealthy and quite haughty at this point. And we see some Picassos and a Monet, etc. Now, I'm not going to go into that. Apparently, there was a little bit of controversy about the uh, prints. I say prints because they weren't the originals, obviously, uh, that were used in the film. But there is one part where um, Picasso's Demoiselle d'Avignon, where some ladies, uh, I think it's the very first part of his cubist uh, phase. And this this painting, you can go and watch some documentaries about the history of art, especially the older ones on, on BBC iPlayer. Um, really did sort of shock the world, but it, and, and, and its timing is about right. Uh, I think it was painted in 1911. Um, and she looks at it, and Cal, her soon-to-be husband, is dismissive. And she's looking at something that seems unfathomable, but with meaning. And she says, it's like being inside a dream. There's truth, but no logic. Yeah, that, that's my attempt at a British person doing an American accent. Um, yeah. And this tells you about her, about the impending storyline, without you even knowing it. And then also Cal's response, so it's not just there, and, oh, look, this is what Rose is and how she thinks. What we have is the whole part of that scene, their obscene wealth, bringing everything on board. They're, they're not going on board a ship. They're just having another luxury villa. But his response as well tells us all we need to know about him. Who is this Picasso fella? He'll never amount to anything. And, and we can laugh at him. And we can just... Yeah, he starts off incredibly well. Because within minutes, you know he's, he's a rude, snobbish, dismissive person who you're not going to like. Just, just the very look of him. But it's the way he, he acts and talks to people and treats everybody around him as his disposable flunkies. Um, contrast this with the other running narrative of Titanic, the the um, up-to-date um, uh, contemporary search crew. And there's the hairy-bearded gruff technician who is dismissive and he's a sort of gamer kind of guy and he's got no time for this old lady who thinks she knows anything about the Titanic at first. And there's something about the way this is played and the way Rose is played and the way that the main lead of the um, expeditionary force looking into the Titanic is played as well. And when the elderly Rose comes back from telling the first part of the story and we see the frame of all the people working on the ship, but especially bearded gruff technician, enthralled, mouths open, fish at feeding time. It's great. It, it tells you lots about the film, about the characters and about the story. So... This film really, really does work. We had a thoroughly uh, lovely evening. It convincingly, convincingly uses the setup of the Titanic. We know what's going to happen, but um, th there is the love story, there is the tension, there is the drama between them. 
The important thing to remember, I think, is Rose doesn't just decide to throw her life away in terms of her prospective marriage and the family situation that her and her mother have found themselves in. Nothing is accidental. Nothing at all. Even uh, bit part actors and characters in the story. Jack's sidekicks, Fabrizio, uh, and then an Irish guy on board, Tommy Ryan. They're not just props. They're not just inserted in. They don't take any major part, really, in the play. But they're convincingly written into the story to show you what kind of a person Jack is, the loyalty that people give him, that he's a rounded character. This is someone who stands up to scrutiny as to what he's saying, which is, every day I'm free and I just look forward to who I'm going to meet that day. It's plausible, when he's 17 as well. Um, I understand, I think he was 20 at the time, um, uh, DiCaprio. And so, these bit part actors, characters in the film, when Fabrizio is shot by the ship's officer, one of the ship's crew, during the lifeboat debacle, we feel. And it's brought back. This isn't just another person trying to escape. This is somebody who, who we know he's relied on Jack to get his ticket. He comes across as, as honest and sincere. We, we are not massively invested in, in him, but enough. He's not just another nameless body. These are all things that make it work. So at, at the end, um, at peep, some people applauded. Haven't been in the cinema where there's been applause for a long time. I can't remember the last time. Um, tell me if you've ever been in the cinema and everyone's just burst out into spontaneous applause at the end. Um, I didn't get motion sickness. Uh, the, the, the 4DX effects are really good. I would recommend it for a film like this. Um, three hours slipped by. Take note, modern films. Pithy summary. Oh, I can't really do this to Titanic. But boy meets girl from across the divide. And weren't some people absolute bar stewards? Review rating has to be yay. Double yay. I would go and see it again. And it's not really my kind of thing, but it's a good film. Going on to Magic Mike's Last Dance, rated 15. Here's the description. Mike Lane takes to the stage once again when a business deal that went bust leaves him broken, bartending in Florida. Hoping for one last hurrah, Mike heads to London with a wealthy socialite who lures him with an offer he can't refuse and an agenda all her own. With everything on the line, he soon finds himself trying to whip a hot new roster of talented dancers into shape. Um, I, I don't know why I read it like that. Maybe to entertain myself. Where, where shall I start? To I have to be fair and give the pros. Um, the positives, the things that, 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 that can be vaguely held up as good. So Mike, played by Channing Tatum, is that low-key, humble kind of a guy um, that this, uh, with a depth of confidence. It seems to particularly suit him or Americans of his type. Um, for example, he's a bartender at the beginning of this film and um, he's yelled at by a supervisor and called, you, yo, bartender, and he doesn't react and he doesn't get up a tea and um, he doesn't lose his dignity and, you know, he's just, um, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And, and he does that really, really well. Um, the dances, the dancers seem good. His dancing, I, what can I say about it? Um, 
good. Um, some people laughed in the audience, and I say the audience and some people, it was mostly women. Um, question, I think I put it on Twitter, should a guy go and see this, a bloke, or leave it to the women? I don't mean that in any funny kind of way, it's just, hey, uh, did I feel out of place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I feel embarrassed? No, not quite. Um, anyway, it's not about me. Some people laughed at Salma Hayek's early dialogue where she is quite um, caustic, I would say. Um, it doesn't really change throughout the film. To Mike, you know, uh, he says, oh, I promise I won't touch you. Yeah, yeah, you better than that. Um, uh, they found that funny. So uh, that, that, um, that surprised me. Cons. Uh, so we have pros and cons. Are these cons or, or the negatives or, or, or are they just elements that are missing? From a, 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 a cinematic um, experience. I, I, I don't know. Um, let's go. It starts with um, a weird English accented young girl's voice describing the events. Now, I, in my research, dutiful research, I've watched the other two films. I had, so I had no idea why this might be starting with a girl describing how Mike Lang hasn't prospered very well during the pandemic and I, I what getting back to the storyline he's recognized early on by one of the girls from a sorority party that ended in a fight from a previous film I think it's the first film now this is possibly the only device that may be convincing in some parts of the storyline universe and so because of this, the lowly bartender is recommended to the stressed-out Maxandra, played by Salma Hayek, and she asks him over at the end of the shift, and then um, she's embarrassed, and she never shows any kind of embarrassment in any other part of the film, but asks him to do a dance for her to pick her mood up. This is a woman who's used to getting her own way. Now, this is the second introduction I think we have to her, apart from her going to the bar and getting a drink off Mike, in which there is no character development at all. So, this whole Mike being asked to do the dance is the one placement development plot incident that is vaguely workable, and it's the one out of one. Then the humping, pumping, grinding begins. Uh, he does his thing and then they end up together and he's, uh, he has agreed a price with her because he says, I'm not doing that, man, and I don't need to do it for 60000 And then she says, I'll pay you six. And then he says, oh, I won't take it for the money. So is it for the money or not for the money? I think I will be coming back to. And then they go to London. And one of the most realistic parts is the tacky London souvenirs for sale with felt pen written prices. There's no way they were made up on this film. They were shot in real life. Then we have Victor, um, Salma Hayek's sort of servant man, chauffeur, General Dog's Body, who is very typically English. And here is the loser. And he talks like this all the way through. Which is fine. There's Zadie, the moody, mean teenage daughter who's one-dimensionally always uptight and just a little bit angry and says weird things like leisure, um, which British English people don't say. And there was another word that I don't think she understood in the script. Then there's the soon-to-be ex-husband from whom she will inherit and have the theatre. 
that all this action starts to take place in, there's the story behind her wealth. All these are just inserted into the plot at the drop of a hat. The insertions are like trying to squeeze Mike Lane's pecs into a size 28 AA brassier. There's the sacking of the director of the play and the actors, the actress who comes back and demands to be in the production. And, ah, I demand to be. I, I hated this play anyway. And she really talks very plammy at some points. And then goes, it's called plammy, isn't it? Oh yeah, darling. I just goes from one extreme to the other. They're looking at the play. Why can't she have love and the money and, and women? And then later on, women can have it all or a bit of every guy. And there's no sense of irony or sarcasm or, or anything behind this. Um, there's the rehearsal of, of, of the show that Mike is then in charge of. And they rip out all the seats of this ancient theatre that's been in the family for ages. I don't know. I'm just making that up now. But then the Westminster Council, the Lambeth Council, slap an order. Um, this is something to do with the plot of the husband. And uh, so they can't go ahead with the show. And so they need to determine, and I'm giving away the plot, but this isn't going to stop you from going to see it. Because if you want to go and see it, you're going to go and see it. And so they're going to bring round the head of the council who they find out is a single woman who, uh, who goes to work on the bus and she has no social media presence. <gasps> Shock horror! So they don't know, but then they, uh, they not ambush her on the bus, but all the guys perform a dance and she's won over and then she approves it. Uh, there's the call with his ex-stripper buddies. So they're involved in the film, but they don't need to turn up on set. And I'm going to pay back, my friends, every last buck. No, 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 Mike, it's not about the money. Um, so is it about the money or not about the money? Um, the stage is too high by three quarters of an inch. Uh, Word to the presumably American script writers, but in UK it would be centimetres, not imperial. And here's the most, the most unbelievable part. Um, with, I gather, I can work out in the plot. It must be no more than 48 hours to go until they're doing the first show. It's the weekend. So it's, it's, it's the earliest Friday night. But I think possibly Saturday morning. Get me a ballerina. Okay. And a plumber. <laughs> really? I can imagine you'd be able to get a ballerina. You know, there's so many talented people out there and so few jobs for them to do. Um, the piece they put together at the end, I mean, they're, they're stunning dancers. I, that is plausible. As implausible as it sounds. Get me a plumber and rig up this system that it's not just like fix a toilet on stage or, or something like that. It's this unbelievable rain um, creation. You, you, you won't, it just won't happen. I'm sorry, it just won't. One of my, a good friend of mine, a husband, and who's a good friend as well, is a plumber. Um, you know, I, I can't go to anybody else. I can't get him to come around with the best will in the world. He's compl always completely busy, and I don't live anywhere near London. It's totally unconvincing. Uh, the male dancers, who uh, are visually t to look at in terms of their dancing, uh, I'm sure they're amazing to look at as well, if you like buff young guys. Um, they're dancing moving ability is which is oh, well, who am i to say it is it's unbelievable it's just great um they never have any part in the dialogue um so um it, it's it's uh, it's not about money it's about love and the money uh, what's it about 
Um, Salma Hayek manages to do some convincing emotional flashbacks at the end <sighs> of their... They can't have known each other much longer than a month. Um, they did it. They didn't walk away. Oh, and it, it, it's absolutely dreadful. In, in, in one bit of the final performance, an intermission card. So there's a final performance on stage. And then an intermission card is flashed upon our screen as well with cats on it. Like, decide what you're going to do. If this is a full-on comedy wacky thing, go for it. Mel Brooks style. It could be done, I'm sure. And it would be a whole lot more entertaining. And you could still have the amazing dancers and their bodies. Um, the insincerity and absolute vacuity of every single character is it's, it's almost something to behold. The shallowness of everyone. And there was one moment, there was one moment when Mike Lane is introduced to the sacked, or are they, um, uh, um, theatre group, the actors and actresses, and she introduces him, this American, big buff American out of nowhere, is suddenly announced, and he'll be taking over, and he has no idea what's coming, and he says, what's up? Was funny. <laughs> it did make me laugh. Um... Everything is as convincing as Jimmy Savile as a children's entertainer. I'm sorry, but I can only think of horrible things to say. It's utterly terrible. Unconvincing performances. We find out the daughter is writing a novel. A novel is fiction! So why the, the voiceovers about Magic Mike and Maxandra, who are real and not fictitious? What was the point? Why was this film made? Just for women to watch and enjoy? If so, go ahead. But surely it can be better than this and have some kind of depth to characters rather than being thinner than a cigarette paper. <sighs> it's about love, or about everything, or not, or is it? It's just enforced degeneracy that you don't even know that's happening. Babylon wasn't a degenerate. It was just an orchestrated cesspit of filth with no humour, agency or connection. I mean, Babylon is genuine filth, disgusting filth. You wouldn't even touch it with a stick to get it off the sole of your shoe kind of filth. But this Magic Mike's last, let's hope, dance is just without plot or development or sincerity. It's not even about how badly it was acted. Um, it was a sort of sense of amateurishness. Um, there's one scene where Victor, the, 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 the chauffeur, and the daughter try and get Maxandra out of, out of a slump in her bed to, to get everything together. And, and, and if I was on set, watching that being filmed, I, I, can, I know there would just be a crushing feeling of, oh my God, what are we doing? This is the most dry script and plot that we have ploughed through to get here. Um, it's almost entertaining in how calamitous a piece of performance it was. It's not even so bad, it's good. It's not offensive. Um, it's just eh, lots of <laughs> everything, so many things that just don't make it a film. Um, it's not even so bad, it's good. Pithy summary. Humping and a pumping fun for some. My reviewing nay, never. Lastly, on to The Sun, rated 15. Uh, very recently released, I think, with Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern and Anthony or Anthony Hopkins. Uh, tagline for it, Peter, 
played by Hugh Jackman, has his busy life with new partner Beth and their baby thrown into disarray when his ex-wife Kate turns up with their teenage son Nicholas. When I checked some details on this, I think I was checking that it was a 15 or I think it was Laura Dern's name, I did see a description here um, which might help with my response to this film. The Sun is a 2022 drama film directed by Florian Zeller. From a screenplay written by himself and Christopher Hampton, it's based on Zeller's 2018 stage play of the same name, which didn't surprise me to see it was a play, but badly transposed. And it's framed as a prequel to The Father. Wow, well, and maybe I should do a review on The Father. You can see it on Netflix at the moment, I think, um, with Anthony Hopkins uh, reprising his role as Anthony and Zella returning as writer and director. So there's where the film lies, I suppose. And it purports um, to deal with the mental health issues uh, and drama. And the drama is based around the parents' response to the difficulties faced by their 17-year-old teenage son. So uh, this is an incredibly sensitive uh, and relevant, I think now, topic. And here's the thing. If you're going to deal with an incredibly sensitive, relevant topic then the framework you present it in has to be at least, at the very least, passable. You have to have, in any film, for it to vaguely work at any level, a plausible plot within the confines of the genre or the feel of your film, and characters who develop. That, that, that plot, in a way, um, that doesn't feel it's been penned by by a bored 12-year-old and talentless 12-year-old at that in terms of not having parts that don't fit together, in terms of not having contradictions in character and dialogue and scene setting and, and in not having any credibility whatsoever to work as a storyline or characters. Because if you don't have anything, no matter how realistic you think a particular sensitive scene might be or how shocking, it won't work. We open up with the ex knocking on the door after a, a nice heartwarming scene of we see that um, Hugh, Peter, played, played by uh, Hugh Jackman, um, with his new uh, newborn and his wife, and she's much younger than him. There's nothing really to do with the film on that. And so there's that little cosy domestic scene and then the knock on the door and the ex is there and I can't get hold of you. You never seem to answer. Now, almost straight away, we know he's just been on the phone. He's constantly on his phone all the way through the film. He, we don't really, I didn't really know what his job was, but he's in politics in New York somehow, working with a senator maybe going down to D.C. He's never not on his phone. So that, and, and, and she, she's not the kind of character to make that up. She, she, that, that didn't fit in and that didn't seem the way that it was being said. It was being said and played and very well acted at that point. As if he never does answer his phone. But it's not true. He's always on the bloody phone. Um, so there's no build-up or hint of a relationship with his teenage son. Now, he has two sons. The young baby son who's hardly ever referred to. So when I refer to his son, we're referring to Nicholas, the older son, who's 17. Um, so, look, the, the film goes on. The son comes to live with him. I don't think I'm giving much away there. Now, wouldn't you think... You know your son is going through difficulties. There's, you've had a split up with your wife. 
he lives with the mother. Now he comes to live with you. And, you know, he hasn't been... And here's... Uh, we'll come back to the school thing. He hasn't been at school. So there's some, there's some issues going on. Don't you think that on the first evening and morning of your son staying over in such circumstances, that if you went off really early to work in the morning, and, like, really early to go to DC, don't you think... Did you would have told your son, oh, yeah, by the way, look, I won't be around... And, no! And... Really? Okay, maybe that shows he wasn't a good parent. I... The other thing, everyone in the film, all the way through it seems, keep asking Nicholas the son closed or loaded questions. All the time. Even later on with the health professionals. No open questions. Now, look, if you, it's very easy to get advice on this kind of thing. And, and, and maybe, look, maybe I'm wrong here, so forcefully tell me if I am. I'm not having a go at the portrayal of dealing with mental health in this film. I'm having a go at the plausibility of a father faced with some difficulties with his son who doesn't realise that he could just pop onto the computer and look up a few things as to how to talk to his son and what to say and what not to say. Because Hugh Jackman is, has an open, lovely face doesn't he he's someone you trust he's he's very rarely cast as the bad guy and in this film he comes across as as a really nice guy so don't you think he would do that um he didn't attend school for a month twice two different schools and the parents weren't found that that's not plausible doesn't happen absolute outright doesn't happen in the uk that would not happen i am telling you absolutely um there's updates on the plot with reported speech between two of the main four characters. There are four characters. There's Peter, his new wife, his ex-wife Kate, and their son Nicholas. And they're the four main characters. And he keeps reporting to his ex-wife about things that Nicholas has told him. Really? When? What? We didn't see that. Where? When did they have that conversation? And then he reports to his new wife... Oh, and, and we never see any of these conversations about how well he's doing at school, about life in general, about friends, about parties. Look, the use of stringed orchestral music score does not create tension or drama or empathy by itself. There has to be an element of this within the scene unfolding before us, before us because of the plot or the characters or because of what's happening. But also, why at one point did Peter get in the lift or elevator and he's stressed and then it was slow moving shot of the door closing on him? Odd. And um, he didn't know the time of the flight his wife, new wife, was taking with their newborn when she went away for a few days. Really? Well, what time's your flight? Just as she's about to go? Like, what? Um... Every time Peter opens up conversation, it, it was just a catastrophe waiting to happen with his son. But then sometimes his son was ultra reasonable. I, I, it wasn't plausible. Um, the script is like they arrived on set. No one's read the script. Then the photocopy of the script was dropped beforehand and lots of pages went missing. and Nobody noticed. How did they get through this? They must have known this wouldn't stand up to scrutiny. Surely. Um, you had no chance of connection with anyone, no matter how well they acted. And, and this wasn't amateurishly acted. This was very well acted. Um, but it doesn't work by itself, no matter who you've got. Um, Anthony Hopkins comes in and does his bit. 
and 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 it's fine. And he's an angry sort of Welshman in the background, if you know his accent, dismissive father. But just because he has an outburst and says the F word a few times, he's not going to make it into a film. It doesn't work, especially with something as intricate and complex. And like I say, absolutely red hot issue at the moment, especially with our nation in the UK and I imagine in America's nations, in America's nation as well, as as to what this film is trying to deal with, which is the, the mental health of young people. There are just too many unbelievably unbelievable scenes that don't work. I'm not going to go into more of them because maybe you want to go and see if I'm wrong and see this film because you think it's got a good lineup. To say this is a steaming pile of a turd of a movie would be offensive to turds. And it might give you the impression the film has the semblance of life in the form of water vapour emitting from the surface. It is a dried, discarded, hollow turd of a film, despite its noble intentions. Pithy summary. Am I a good father? A bad father? I don't care. My review rating, never, never, just no. As I came out, a couple of people in front of me said, in my local accent, that was good, but it effing went on. No, no, it wasn't good. Yes, it did go on. But it was about as cogent as President Biden's mind, about as watertight as the Titanic. Totally unconvincing. Worse, can you believe it, the magic mice. Mike. I can't even say his name. Worse, the magic mic. <laughs> honestly, honestly, despite, despite its noble intention, despite the incredibly sensitive, uh, I don't know if he's trying to give a message across at the end, but maybe I'll discuss that another time if I can bear bring myself think about this turgid film again. It's worse than magic mic. Okay, thanks very much for listening and I'd love to hear your feedback, whether you agree or disagree. I seem to have a, a, a lovely mix of uh, films this week I uh, did not expect. Um, like I said, I go into my films, I, I try and not read anything about them or see anything about them as well. Um, I had no idea what I was going to expect. Uh, gonna expect. I kind of hope that I'm going to have um, a real gem pop up and I'll have a lovely, lovely time. So, love to hear your feedback. Twitter, Real Film at Real Film ACO. On Instagram, Real Film Review. Or on Facebook or via your podcast and provider. Thanks very much. And bye.